Hello, welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is episode number 35. So this week I've got Claire Brennan on. Uh, she is the curator of the Hannah McClure Centre, uh, part of Abertay University, uh, where she also sort of part-time lectures in drawing and painting with the first years. Uh, which we, we sort of go on to and we chat about um, her thoughts on, on how to, what we should be teaching um, the young creatives um, and people who want to get into the creative industries, um, which is a, a really, really interesting perspective that Claire's got on it. And I love her, her thought of, of going out and just telling people to go and have experiences and then discuss them, talk about them, show them through the work that you produce. And another thing that we, that we sort of go on to chat about is this the whole idea of culture. Um, I know that that word's been sort of thrown about a lot recently, um, especially with the, the capital culture bid going on, um, which I think is still looking for ideas for projects. I think the submissions are open until sometime in August. So if you haven't already, go and check that out. So it's the, the capital culture bid. Um, if you Google it, you'll find it. And yeah, we, we talk about also how we get inspiration. So it's all relative to the, the sort of idea of culture and, and going out and experiencing culture, whether that's a, a show, a gig, an event, an opening, an exhibition, whatever that may well be, a meetup, a pitch culture. It's all sort of part of that, that creative culture. And the way that Claire describes it is that if she doesn't get out and do that, um, she feels like she's drying up. Um, and we sort of come up with this really nice analogy of, of like a culture sponge um, and I love this idea that that we're all culture sponges so and we use that to sort of drive our work and our enjoyment and excitement around our practice um, so you sort of go out and you soak up some culture and then you bring it back to your studio or wherever you're working and you use that to sort of drive you forward but if you become detached from that and you don't invest yourself or get out and really embed yourself in and get that soak up that that real nice culture you're going to become all dried out and horrible so i love this idea um, i think it's a really nice analogy um and i can definitely relate to it and i'm sure a lot of you guys will as well um and i, I think one thing that comes out of that is we could all be doing more i think we could all be going out engaging more speaking to more people going to more events and getting ourselves out there a bit more yeah so i, I think that's something i'm going to take from this and try and do a bit more um so yeah i mean beyond the this episode i've got a bit of a big announcement that i've not really talked about before um i'm going to be taking a bit of a break um it's not you it's me <laughs> it's um it's now been seven months uh, i think we're up to about six thousand listens overall which i'm so grateful for the the sort of the guys who are coming back every week and listening and then those of you who are just dipping in for episodes here and there but I'm amazed that I've managed to build this sort of audience um, over the last seven months and it's been so rewarding I've learned so much um, about interviewing about audio recording and generally about the, the sort of creative community in Dundee it's, it's been an amazing experience but I'm burning myself out um, I feel like I'm I'm really struggling to find the time to maintain the quality of the podcast, um, although I mean over the, the course of the seven months the audio quality has improved massively, um, but what I want to do is put a proper amount of time into doing the research into the guests and then preparing properly 
um, setting up all the interviews and doing all that sort of stuff. I just need a little bit of breathing room, so I'm deciding I'm going to take a summer holiday. And what we're going to do is call this end of season one. So it's a big season, 35 episodes, but hey-ho. Yeah, so this is now end of season one. And season two is going to kick off probably round about um, start to mid-September. I haven't decided quite on a date yet, but I will update you. I'll probably throw up some little teaser content onto the Facebook, uh, Twitter and Instagram which, uh, for those of you who don't know, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, so that'll keep you up to date as when the podcast is coming back. And yeah, as I say, I'll probably throw up some interviews because I have got some really great ones lined up. We've still got some punch in, punch out to come from the Design Festival this year. Um, we've got Mal Abbas from Biome Collective and we've also got Angie Miller who worked on the Schemers film. And I've also been chatting to people who have said, oh, I've not quite caught up yet. I've not listened to X or Y or Z. Um, so I'll give you guys all time just to, to work your way through the back catalogue and then uh, get to the point where you've listened to them all. Um, and if, yeah, you're twiddling your thumbs in the next sort of four weeks or so, go and take a punt on someone that you don't know anything about. Um, read a little blurb um, on SoundCloud or on the website. Um, get a little bit of insight and then listen to the episode. Because um, they are all really genuinely fascinating people um, and it's been a pleasure to have all 35 well 35 plus on if you include all the guys who came in for punch in punch out so yeah i'll stop wittering on um, and let's get into the episode so this is number 35 and this is claire brennan um, a lot of what i'm what i do now is seeded by kind of what happened um in my childhood and you know kind of growing up um so I was always like really kind of into going to community dance classes and theatre stuff and art classes and all that kind of stuff. And my mum and dad were really, you know, uh, good at encouraging me to go to these things and taking me along and finding cool things for me to uh, spend my time doing. And I think, you know, a big part of that comes from, you know, them finding value and doing stuff like that as well. So... You know, historically, our our family kind of had creative elements, I guess, um, you know, musicians and stuff in the family, but um, a big kind of turning point, I guess, that has impact on what I do now is, I guess, my mum being part of Witch's Blood, which was like 30 years ago, which was a huge, big community arts project um, in the city that involved hundreds of people from all corners of Dundee um, getting involved in a big promenade sort of play that... that that took audiences all over so and that kind of seeded her interest in community theatre and you know community art stuff which then meant that she saw the value in it for me being being part of it and um, so we always kind of were taken along to you know classes at Dura Park Centre and the rep and all that kind of thing so I guess that's sort of in the bones of me really um, to be part of you know a creative community in some way you know um, and that's sort of where I've kind of found myself now. So I graduated as a painter uh, from Duncan and Jordanson. I did sort of figurative painting, um, but I kind of, I loved it. I loved kind of pursuing this sort of professional practice, I guess, as a painter, but I found it quite a lonely uh, existence, you know. I'm quite, a, yeah, a social social bird and um so when you say like a lonely existence do you mean like in the environment that you were 
like working in? Yeah, so when I think you go from like art art college and you're surrounded by people in your studio all the time and you you know, you've got peers and friends and people to sort of bounce ideas off of. And then I ended up I kinda uh, ended up in a studio space which was great, you know, it was such a luxury to have like a, sp- a messy space that you could just go and work in. Um, and I kind of enjoyed elements of that, but I didn't have that sort of peer group anymore. I always maintained that that's why I painted people, so that at least I had like uh, paintings of people around me, even if I didn't have real people. <laughs> Better company on the canvas. And so, yeah, I guess that that's kind of... Um, why I maybe started to pursue or, or probably more honestly fell into, you know, working more within with other artists, uh, helping them to, you know, facilitate their exhibitions. So um, do you think if that, your initial sort of work in, in whatever environment you were in, do you think if that had more of the feel of the studio that you had at art school, mm. that you would have pursued the thing out a, a bit more I might have done I think I would have had to mix it up a bit more I think I couldn't have just been one person with a brush working on a canvas I think my kind of um arts practice probably would have become more social and in some ways my arts practice is my curation you know that is my arts practice now uh so you know I guess it just evolves and it's um you know it's no longer oil paint I'm working with it's people <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of one and the same. It's just changed mediums, uh, perhaps. But I still kind of dabble in painting. I teach uh, life drawing, you know, as, as part of the um, my visual arts lecturer role at Abertay. So, you know, kind of need to stay fresh and sharp on that all the time. So it's important to keep kind of um, that kind of practice going, um, you know, so that you can kind of inform and help the students along their way too. So, uh, so I still do that, but I just, it's a balance for me between um, mom- times of kind of solitude and making and, and focus against, you know, working with people and feeling, you know, part of a, a bigger community and having conversations and making projects happen collaboratively, which is the most exciting thing, I think. So where did you go then? So did you started out as an artist and mm-hmm. then where did you go sort of job-wise? What did you then go into? Yeah, so, um, well, I graduated and I went to Florence, actually, um, which was quite nice. Um, yeah, no, I was really lucky. I applied for, like, this scholarship through the Royal Scottish Academy. It was the John Kinross Ross Scholarship, which a, a number of graduates from Duncan Johnson and other art schools, I'm sure, in Scotland have uh, benefited from and that was amazing you know just going to spend it was like three months in this unbelievably beautiful city and I kind of pursued that and that was a real catalyst for the kind of work that I produced for a while because it's funny you kind of don't realize how much you absorb your surrounding and how much that for me anyway you know how much that came out in my paintings so for example a lot of the sort of palettes that I would um, use when I was sort of Scotland-based, were very greys and blues, and you know, kind of reflecting the the skies, and you know, but I didn't I didn't really think about that. It just kind of happened, and it wasn't until I came back from Florence, or when I was spending time in Florence, that I realised my palette totally changed. You know, it was like much richer, 
hues and you know bright yellows and rich blues and um, all that kind of stuff started to come through um, so yeah so that kind of changed a lot of the way that I kind of worked um, and so I was painting I came back from Florence painting part-time in the studio space that I had yeah which was great and then this a couple of part-time posts came up so I worked at McManus for a bit as a sort of um artists workshop facilitator so you know families coming in designing workshops for them to kind of paint and make sculptures and uh, do lots of kind of fun playful things um, and I love that I mean such a beautiful building and there's so much inspiration in there you know just kind of wandering around and looking at the masks and they've got an, actually they've got a really amazing new collection of miniature ships that you should definitely go and check out but you know just kind of taking inspiration from all that to design the workshop so I did that for a bit um, and I also started as a sort of gallery assistant um, within the Hannah McClure Centre uh, and yeah, so I worked uh, alongside Donna Holford Lovell, who is director of Fleet Collective now, and we still work together on Neon. Um, and we worked, uh, I sort of supported Donna as curator at the time there to deliver exhibitions and things as part of the Hannah McClure Centre. That, there was also a cafe in there at the time, so I was kind of between invigilating and making cups of tea. Um, and I guess over time, I just sort of elbowed my way into various positions just by kind of sort of saying yeah I'll do that and then immediately shouting myself that I've like committed to doing <laughs> something that I maybe felt a wee bit out of my depth but just kind of having that moment of bravery to kind of push myself and say yeah I could teach drawing yeah I'll do that you know or um I'll take on the role of curating this exhibition just this one-off thing and Donna would you know support me to do that and kind of gave me the courage to do it as well. Do you think you sort of you talk about elbowing your way in and then mm -hmm. sort of the way that you describe it, it's not necessarily as a confidence, but maybe like a curiosity and like, oh, maybe I should push myself to try and do this. Do you think throughout your sort of career that you've consistently done that? Like you're, you're always pushing yourself, pushing yeah. your boundaries and your comfort zone? Without a doubt. I mean, every week <laughs> it feels like that happens. And I always feel like I'm overcommitting to stuff um, just because I, I think... I like the sound of something and I think oh that's, that sounds like a really interesting project to be involved with or you know really interesting people to connect with or whatever and you don't want to kind of miss out I guess so that because the sort of driving force is that curiosity but constant imposter syndrome from me like I just feel like someday someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say right you've had your time now you know off you pop um but you know so far so good still getting away with it and uh yeah, hopefully just kind of making things happen that, you know, if I think if I enjoy it, then other people will enjoy coming along and learning about what we've, what we've made, whether it's an exhibition or a workshop or, you know, an artist talk or whatever. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how it happened. I just sort of kept trying to seize opportunities as they came up and uh, trying to make a good job of them. Um, when I was working on it and um, that that's sort of the way it continues to roll for me just kind of like yeah biting at things that, that come my way. So how do you describe the Hannah McClure Centre to to someone who's no concept of, of what it is or where it is or what it does? Mm -hmm. um, so HMC is kind of our university on-site um, exhibition and events space 
Um, and so, you know, over the years, um, I think, I'm trying to think how many years now I've kind of been curating that space. I don't know, six years or something? It's too long. <laughs> um, you know, we've kind of, we've made lots of different uh, creative things happen in that space. And generally, the, the, the way things tend to evolve is by... Uh, looking at the other activity that happens in the university, so speaking to researchers, lecturers, students, different kind of staff and hearing what they're up to. So, for example, um, we did a whole exhibition which drew upon the soil research that happens within Aberty. Um, we've done other, one, other exhibitions that look at uh, the forensic um, science research um, or sociology or, you know, there's lots of kind of interesting um bodies of research, concepts, ideas that are kind of being explored um, academically, but often they're kind of shut away behind a door and nobody would, unless you read the academic paper or went to the conference that they were presenting that, you know, you would never know anything about it. And so we kind of try and sort of give that a bit of a public arena, bring it out of the, the lab and, and, you know, take it into the gallery and ask artists to to respond to it, to challenge it, to ask questions that maybe, you know, the scientists wouldn't ask themselves and bring in the, the, the public to kind of, to view that and to get involved. And um, I think often what, you know, what happens in that case is it just makes it a lot more accessible for people to understand what's, what's happening, you know, and universities are, you know, public, publicly funded spaces, so they've got every right to know, you know, what's happening. Um, but to create the environment that people feel comfortable to come and learn about what's happening. So how do you um, do that? What do you put in place in order to make people feel comfortable? Um, I think a lot of it comes from creating a kind of convivial atmosphere in the first place. You know, it's not um, a, a scary place to come. And that's quite a challenge, you know, because first of all, you're asking people to come onto a university ground and not everybody feels comfortable with doing that. Not everybody thinks they're allowed that they've got the permission to come onto campus, you know. Um, so a lot of that is, you know, you overcome that by getting out there and not actually, you know, staying in your own wee bubble, but going to speak to people and working with different community groups and uh, different audiences and um and the creative community to kind of say, hey, we're here and we're doing this thing and you're totally allowed to come and you're actually, we need you to come and you're more than welcome to be there. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of breaking barriers, those kind of barriers by um, going out yourself and speaking to people and, and welcoming, welcoming people into that, into that space, you know. Um, and then once they're there, you know, making people feel comfortable and... and you know, creating the, curating the experience for them in such a way that they feel like they could ask questions or they can maybe go and ponder it and come back, you know, another day and uh, and have a conversation about whatever the exhibition's about, be it soil research or forensics or, you know, uh, you know whatever that may be. So, so uh, sort of as the, the the curator of the of the space, what does that role entail? Well, we've got a really small team. Um, you know, over over the years, it's tend tended to be uh, the curator, which actually I so I part time curate because I have part time teaching as well, um, and then two part time gallery assistants. So there's really sort of, I don't know, at any given time, one and a half people <laughs> working on making that program happen, which means that you become everything. You become 
um, you know, the administrator, you become the technician, you become, you know, obviously uh, the, the community outreach person, the, the curator, of course, as well. So um, it means that you have to have a lot of strings to your bow. And so um, the way I kind of tend to approach each exhibition, each project is, you know, by finding a sort of interesting hook, an interesting idea, an interesting concept, and then looking at ways to kind of bring that to life, you know, to animate that. So um, looking for artists that kind of are interested in that field, that kind of want to explore those ideas through their creative practice. And, um, you know, whether that's a solo show or a group exhibition, it really kind of, uh, yeah, depends. It's case by case sort of thing. Um, so there's that bit, there's the sort of curation of the ideas, I guess, um, and the sourcing of that and the research that's involved in that aspect of it. And then there's the curation of the sort of staging of it itself, you know, so when somebody walks into the room, what's the first thing they see, what's the next thing they see, and how does the story of the exhibition unfold as they walk around that space? Um, so, you know, if we put this thing next to that thing, are they, you know, are these pieces of work in conversation with one another, and what does that mean, you know? If we put that next to that, it gives it a whole, it could sometimes create a different meaning, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's about that then creating the journey around the exhibition itself um, and how the, the story of the exhibition unfolds for the audience member that's coming into the space. And aesthetically as well, you know, like you say, the wall colours, you know, the, the lighting, the, uh, the marketing, the, you know, everything, yeah. So within that whole... Like process. I mean, I imagine it is quite cyclical. So you go through exhibitions, you go through certain stages every time you're putting something on. Mm. Well, what What's your favourite bit? My favourite bit is install week. Okay. It's the week just before everything opens. Um, especially, you know, we've kind of we've had obviously change in staff over the years. I've been there for, as I say, quite a few years now. Um, but, you know, at the moments that we've had, you know, really great teams of people working together and you all come together for that week and all the sort of everything's in place, the artist work's arrived, you know, it's been delivered, it's in the crate, you're just about to open it. Um, you know, you're working together as a team to actually realise all the hard work that's gone into planning it to then to hang the show. Um, there's, I think there's a real kind of momentum there and a nervousness, you know, about how is it going to be received. But it's the most exciting time to come together as a team and uh, you go a little bit insane, I think, sometimes. You know, you're kind of... You could be in the gallery for day and night for, you know, the, the week, two weeks prior to the to the show opening, depending on how big an install is. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of things get, yeah, pretty abstract at times because you just end up having these mad kind of half-sleep conversations. And, yeah, there's always a lot of uh, laughing, particularly, you know, when myself and uh, Raz Ula, who I know you've interviewed before, and um, Robin Mayer, when the three of us were, like, install team a go-go, we, uh, we used to just have the most fun in install weeks. Um, and then, you know, then it all comes together and you open the doors and there's that anticipation about how people are going to feel about it. But yeah, that moment, it's kind of like the, yeah, the moment before the doors open is always the most exciting bit, I think. 
So in terms of the, your actual process, your, I suppose your creative process, mm-hmm. what are the most important parts of that? And what parts of it do you go to time and time again so that you do across all your, all your projects? Mm-hmm. Um, a really important part of you know, the creative process for anything, I think, is, you know, is obviously the research. And that maybe sounds really dry. I think research always sounds like, like a really, um, I don't know, like niche thing to kind of talk about perhaps. But that is about getting out and seeing things and experiencing things. So that, you know, for me, the, 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 the moments that I feel kind of most vulnerable is when I've not been to see out to see things in a while. So like... I kind of feel like I'm really feel like I'm like drying up for things because I've not gone to that. I've been to see an exhibition for too long or, you know, I've not gone to an arts festival or I've not kind of traveled or had enough kind of experiences myself. You know, it's kind of, it's like anything. You have to keep feeding it if you're going to keep producing something. So, um, so that's something that, you know, is a really important thing to keep seeding and something that I endeavor to do as often as possible, but it's also a luxury as well at times, you know, you're kind of finding the time to get away and, and do that kind of thing is sometimes really, really tricky. And, uh, you know, within your work schedule, within your life schedule, within your budget, you know, yeah. um, that's always really tricky to do, but it's a really important thing to do or you're just going to kind of keep regurgitating the same old nonsense, you know. I think I, I like that analogy that you sort of dry up as you go through. <laughs> so you're kind of like this, you need to satisfy your, like your culture sponge. Yeah, exactly. So you go out and you soak all this up yeah, and you take yeah. that in and you let that inform, but then that sort of dissipates over time and then you need to go and get some more. Yeah. And then re-energise yourself. And Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. And then there'll be sometimes, sometimes things that you absorb that will just sit with you for years maybe, you know, and then you'll be able to kind of pluck it out of the back of your mind and go, oh, actually, I remember seeing this thing or reading about this thing or experiencing this thing that actually is now coming into play and I can use it for a, you know, a new project. So, um, so that's something that, you know, it doesn't happen maybe quite as, uh, regularly as, as I would like it to. Um, but it's certainly something that's a kind of core part of, um, yeah, of what I do, I guess. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, as I said before, I feel like there's a real kind of social aspect to it as well. So it's about having conversations with people and just, taking again a really convivial approach to that and just making people feel comfortable enough to kind of open up and say yeah I'm up to this and this is you know this is what I'm looking to just now and tell me about their work and um yeah to to begin to kind of make those relationships and those connections that then seed the collaborations that create the projects um so again that's another sort of key aspect of it but nothing's too sort of uniform you know I don't have like a timeline or a spreadsheet really or a yeah you know there's not really a kind of one way of doing things um and I like that you know it makes me feel that every time we've got a new project I feel like I've got a new job you know so keeps it really fresh it never and you meet new people all the time so you never kind of feel like you're stagnating you know it's kind of yeah this whole new generative thing starts all over again with each project and that's yeah keeps me going anyway and is that what's kept you there well, six years is a long time is, to be yeah, in a, yeah. a single 
position. Yeah. Because um, you, I mean, you you keep coming back to people and people and people. Mm-hmm. So is that is that what keeps you there? I think it's sort of the the diversity of the things that you're putting on, plus the people who you're working with. Is that what keeps you in the position? Yeah, absolutely. And and to be honest, I mean the the um, landscape of the of the city, you know metaphorically and physically and and of the universities you know both them things are changing all the time you know so I've never really felt as much as I've been maybe been there for quite a few years I never felt like I've had the same job for more than a couple of years at a time you know because things shift and boundaries shift and uh, you know agendas shift and you kind of you you know you reinvent yourself all over again to kind of um uh, to fulfill you know different needs so um yeah, I've never really, yeah, never really felt like it was kind of one big long task that I've been doing. You know, it's always felt like a really fresh thing, and certainly, yeah, the people, um, yeah, that's kind of, you know, what makes your job interesting is who you're, who you're meeting with, and and getting out into the city and getting out into the world. You know, to be able to kind of travel and meet different artists from different walks of life and backgrounds and perspectives and. Um, that always keeps it fresh and it certainly keeps me going. Mm. It's, you're obviously doing the lecturing as well, mm-hmm. um, running that side by side. So I think it's good to get your perspective on what you think we should be teaching young people to help them to get into the creative industries. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I mean, disclaimer still always feeling like I'm learning myself and that I'm like a fraud that's going to be caught out. But then surely that's a, that's a healthy thing, right? Yeah. If you feel like you should always be learning then you're always going to want to better yourself. So surely that is what everyone should aspire to be. You know? Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope so. Sometimes you wish you could shake off your little devil on your shoulder a wee bit. But, um, but I mean, my, you know, my approach to, to teaching is to just kind of a combination of teaching technique and teaching ways of thinking, you know, so there's, it has to be, I, I've generally have the sort of first years in the first semester, you know, so they're coming fresh blood, uh, you know, into new university life. There's a lot of anxiety and anticipation and excitement from them. Um, and, you know, trying to kind of give them the tools, practical tools, you know, drawing skills um, that they feel like they can then use to illustrate the ideas that they have, you know. So there's a wee bit of a balance between the kind of practical and the conceptual, I guess. Um, and I kind of lean more, I think, towards the ways of thinking, um, sort of seeding that and pushing that, I guess, because, I mean, so so many of our students now, if they want to learn how to do something, they'll look at a tutorial on YouTube and they'll teach themselves how to do it, you know. Um, there's so much of that that I could do within the drawing studio or you know a lot of what we do is taking the students out to draw within a theatre or to draw dancers or to you know draw with in the environment or whatever just to kind of expose them to kind of different ways of working um and you know we we teach things like you know perspective and proportion and scale and you know all those kind of things that kind of underpin um the kind of drawing side of 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 what the the students do, um, but a lot of it is just about you know what what have you got an opinion on? What do you want to speak about within your work? What do you want to say with it? Um, I'm not really interested in seeing another drawing of the inside of your bedroom again. You know, go and 
uh, live your bloody life and and respond to it through your work you know um so yeah i'm always trying and i think dundee's got a great community for you know allowing the students to kind of have those experiences there's so much amazing theater there's so much amazing community arts projects there's so much you know from pitch kucha to make chair you know all these amazing things that that are going on that can kind of enrich you know it's the same thing as me like when I talk about drying up you know you're going to dry up too if you don't you know keep feeding your creative belly so um you know getting them to kind of just go out and speak to people and, and have experiences that they can then channel you know through the work that they make yeah I mean especially if you're catching them first semester or first year and you're saying there's this amazing world on your doorstep go in and explore it mm -hmm. I mean that's the right time to, to catch them yeah and then, you know and I don't think um they might never, you know, when they go into the working world again, they might not get the chance to, to do that as as often as they would like or to have the space and the freedom and the, you know, the time to to use that. And I don't think that was something, it's something you only really get with hindsight. I don't think I realised how lucky I was to have, like, a free studio space that I could work in for four years during, you know. I mean, how amazing is that? Like, and, you know, I think it's kind of trying to make... I don't know, find ways to make them recognise that, that how much of a luxury that is now and to really, you know, use it as much as they can. Hmm. And I think, well, I've spoken to a couple of people who have said as soon as they came out of uni, they were like, oh, now I can't, like, use the workshop anymore. Exactly, I can't do this yeah. or the other. And you, it's quite a harsh reality. As soon as you finish in fourth year, you're on your own. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. Um, I remember feeling a little bit like that um, as well when I first came out. But I think what tends to happen, well, what I see more and more in Dundee is people maybe graduating, thinking Dundee's a really cool place to stay. It's an affordable place to stay. I've got friends here. You know, I'm I'm enjoying it. But I don't have that workshop or I don't have access to that thing. So I'm just going to go and bloody make it happen myself. You know. So you have things like. Um, you know, tin roofs having set itself up to kind of answer that, you know, that question or, um, yeah, like, you know, sort of maker space or, you know, things that kind of people go, there's a gap actually and I could really do with that and if I could do with it, then other people people could probably use it too. And um, I think the city's kind of a small enough, affordable enough place to kind of um, make these notions become, you know, a reality. So... Uh, yeah, that's generally how I've kind of felt about things. If you, you know, if you feel like you've you've come out into the world and you're not very sure that it's providing all you need, then don't moan about it. Just go and do something about it and make it happen for yourself. You know, only you could do that, and I'm sure there's other people like-minded that'll help you along the way. So yeah, and I think this is now the it's the perfect time to to make things happen. And Dundee's of a size that it's very conducive to. To having an impact mm -hmm. um, on a, a a big community, a relatively big community, with not a massive amount of effort. Um, mm -hmm. I think you, I mean, Creative Dundee have shown that they can sort of pull together a really tight creative community, and it's thriving here at the moment. Um, yeah, which is exciting, I think. Yeah, no, it's a really exciting time, um, and you know there is strategies being put in place by Creative Dundee in collaboration with other, you know, creative institutions around the city to kind of um to support that so people don't feel like they're going it 
alone, you know, um, it could always be better. Um, and I think people within that also recognise that there's more work to be done. There's always more work to be done. Um, but yeah, if you, you know, if you, if you're graduating, you come out with that sort of can-do attitude. Yeah, just just get on with it and make the thing happen that you want to do. Because as we've chatted, you've been super positive about Dundee. Mm-hmm. So have you never been tempted to up sticks and move to another city or another country? Or? Um, yeah, there's been there's been times that um, not so much because I was feeling like running away from something more that there was an opportunity that I wanted to run towards, you know, so, um, you know, like the sort of Florence opportunity or there's been maybe posts or, you know, residencies or master's programmes or things that I thought, oh, that, that sounds like something that I might want to get my teeth into. There's just, Dundee just gets a grip on you, I think. <laughs> uh, there's always been something to kind of to keep me here, my family's here, you know, really close with my family. I would uh, find it really hard to to have too much distance between myself and my family. So, I mean, that's always been a, a huge reason to to stay in Dundee. But also, I'm really happy here. I'm genuinely contented <laughs> with my life, and uh, yeah, and I, I kind of I'm of the same sort of frame of mind that you know, if I wasn't and I still wanted to stay here. I wouldn't stay here and be miserable. I'd stay here and try and make something happen and make myself happy, you know. So how do we attract more people here, more creatives to sort of, to help build and grow the community that's here already? Mm. Well, I mean, the, the universities do that, a great job of that already, you know. Every year, if you go into the degree shows, there's a huge amount of talent. I think it's... I don't know if it's so much about attracting, it's about retaining. I think we're really good at attracting, maybe not so, so good at uh, holding on holding on to people. Um, it's a, a lot of it's about affordable space. I um, actually, uh, one of my friend's uh, nieces is just kind of out of school, really wanting to paint and wanting to try and find a studio. And she's really struggling to find a space that on her part-time wage she can afford to to keep, you know. Um, and there is, you know, there is things like wasps and new ventures like the the circle and all these kind of things popping up. So I think that's, you know, we're on the right path to to making those um, spaces available to retain the people. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, organisations like Creative Dundee do a brilliant job of, of that as well because it's not just about the space, it's about the, the community and the reasons to stay are, are often, you know, the friendships that you, you make and, yeah, you know, the roots you put down. So I think there's, there's probably two trains of thought um, with the sort of the graduate years that come out and that we can try and keep a hold of them and grab them and pull them in. Um, but, I mean, I'm not, at the moment, I'm not sure there's enough opportunities mm-hmm. um, employment-wise to interest in creative opportunities, yeah. interest in employers putting, creating positions that graduates are going to jump at I just don't think there's enough of that yeah, out there yeah. at the moment yeah, um, and that may well come um, mm-hmm. and hopefully it does mm-hmm. um, but then there's a second argument where you can push them away and you can say go and have some experiences go and yeah, see the yeah. world go and live in another country or go to London for a bit see if you like it and then when you've got that out of your system come back come back yeah. <laughs> the boomerang effect exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I guess so. Um, I think that's, well, I think both both are valid points and both have a place. I mean, I hope that the the investment that is happening in the city to kind of you know the cultural regeneration as it's being called um, will kind of you know stimulate that economy and make those kind of jobs more visible and and more abundant. Yeah, I guess it's time. Uh, time will tell in a way as well. But yeah, I mean, I've no kind of, there's no right or wrong, but whether you want to go and explore the world or stay here or, you know, it's just whatever feels right for you mm-hmm. um, at the time. So you're obviously involved in Neon Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you, you sort of came into that through knowing Donna yeah. um, from the Hannah McClure Centre. Mm-hmm. So what's your involvement been sort of over the years and, and what, what do you do for the festival now? Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of was part of the sort of, I guess, the founding team of people uh, for Neon back in 2009. Is that right? And at that point, it was really a sort of, uh, it was a conference with an exhibition on the side of it. Um, and Don and I curated the exhibition element. Um, and I think, actually we were kind of interested in the potential that, that Neon had, um, along with lots of others um, at the time. Um, and we didn't think that the potential was going to be found within, you know, a kind of pretty dry conference. We thought it'd be more interesting to explore um, more of a festival format um, for it. And so over the years, that's kind of what it's what it's evolved into, you know, a whole host of exhibitions and workshops mm. and artist talks and um, performances and, and, you know, whatever the, the right platform is for the artists that we're working with year upon year. Um, and we've also kind of developed a thematic programme each year as well. So uh, generally what we tend to do is kind of look to, like the Scottish government have different themes for each year. And so we, we tend to sort of look at uh, what's being explored more generally uh, around the country and see what perspective, you know, from a sort of new media arts, digital arts perspective, we can kind of bring to that. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of, you know, what we've been doing for, for, for quite a few years now. Um, we've kind of expanded beyond this, just this, this sort of festival format as well. So um, what we found was that we would have this flurry of activity in for a week in November um, and then we would sort of drop off the map, you know, uh, in terms of the audience knowing what we were up to for the year. So we, we've started to do kind of pop-ups throughout the year as well just to keep sort of uh, connecting with new audiences and, you know, keeping our uh, visibility there and making people sort of aware that we're kind of, we're working away at various things um, throughout the year, but still with that um, focus being the sort of, of the festival being the kind of highlight of the programme mm-hmm. um, each year. So, um, yeah, so at the moment we're super busy behind the scenes working towards this year's festival, which the theme is uh, media archaeology. And so this is in the context of it being the Scottish year of history, heritage and archaeology. And so, yeah, so we're, we're working with lots of artists from around the world to kind of uh, create a really diverse and rich programme of um, festival activity uh, around that theme of of media archaeology. So it's all very exciting. So do you think, uh, I'm just thinking about the the festival aspect 
of it. Um, and obviously, the last two years we've had the design festival. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the approach to that would benefit from more of those sort of the, the pop-up style events that, that, that you've started to do with Neon? Um, possibly, but then a lot of it's about capacity. You know, what do you have the capacity to do? You have to be realistic about these things as well. And, you know, it's it's hard to keep activity going throughout the year when you're still trying to do the one big thing, which takes a year to plan as well, you know. So, but yeah, and I, you know, things like the design festival was just amazing this year. It was brilliant the year before. I think it's just getting, you know, better year upon year. Um, but there is lots of kind of design activity that I think is happening around the sort of calendar each year anyway, which I think um, keeps that profile of Dundee as a design city, you know, in the, in the, in the, at the forefront. And of course, you know, things like the, uh, obviously the UNESCO city of design designation. Um, I think that, so I kind of uh, work on the team of people, I guess, from lots of um, different organisations across the city to try and look at what being part of that design network you know, what opportunities that can bring um, to the city. Um, and that maybe goes back, actually, to the to the question that you had about, you know, creating, the, the, creating more opportunities for young designers and artists in the city. And hopefully, you know, that's what we're trying to do with the, you know, the UNESCO designation is there is calls coming from all the other design cities all the time for, you know, opportunities for designers um, to, to submit ideas and... Uh, proposals for so yes I went with uh, Kirsty Stevens and I were at the uh, Shenzhen Design Festival in China um, a couple of months ago and that was you know an opportunity for her to kind of go and network and make contacts and speak about her you know jewellery design um, practice that you know she's based here in Dundee Um, and so there are these things that are beginning to kind of you come out of the woodwork and uh, it's just yeah trying to sort of embrace that and promote it and make it possible for people to kind of seek out those opportunities to talk a little bit about you um what in your life outside of work do you obsess about <laughs> apart from my niece that's 14 months old that i'm totally obsessed about she's a beauty um yeah uh, friends and family you know really sort of close knit um a lot of us kind of you know share similar interests so live music is like a really big part of my life love going to festivals um my other half andrew mitchell who is part of the hazy janes and also has his uh you know solo um thing going on with his andrew vasilic persona (laughs) uh one half of art of the memory palace lots idlewild lots of different things so he's like you know He's always busy doing lots of festivals and gigs, and so that then becomes part of you know my life. So, yeah, live music um, is a, a, a real passion, I think, and something that I get a lot of enjoyment out of. Dance, I think, if I hadn't have um, followed the kind of art path, I would have probably went into dance and tried to make a profession out of that. But I think it was never really quite good enough. I thought I was, but maybe not. But still love going to see, you I mean, Scottish Dance Theatre, absolutely incredible. You know, we're so lucky to have them, you know, the national dance company based here in Dundee. Um, so as much as possible, try and go and see that kind of thing. Yeah. The pubs, 
food, <laughs> all the the joys of life. So, do you feel like you still need to have uh, like a creative release? We talked about you sort of soaking up that cultural energy um, mm-hmm. and using that, but then, uh, I mean, do you still draw, paint? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've got a wee corner in a room in my house where I've got my paints and my canvas and my palette and all that set up. Um, I kind of, you know, at moments when I'm like super busy with other projects, that's the first thing to go because it feels like a total luxury. Um, But yeah, when I have time, I I kind of have found, I think, a new love for for painting again I've been doing a lot more of it uh, again recently and I've really enjoyed it uh, yeah getting back and filling the room with the smell of tarps is uh, <laughs> always going to be an interesting experience um, do you think you'd ever take that further then do you think you'd ever expand on that and maybe start to sell your pieces or do that more or is it always going to be something that just is a release I don't know I mean I, I might um, I don't really see like how I would fit that in at the moment um, I've, I've always felt like I'd need about five different lives to pursue all the things that I'm interested in. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one day. Yeah, maybe one day I'll come back. Uh, and I, you know, because I did, you know, before I was like, you know, full time doing my lecture and, and curation. I, that's what I did. I exhibited and I sold work and I did commissions and, um, you know, that was that was my my bread and butter. You know, but. Um, yeah, maybe maybe one day, but I just I think I'm just having too much of a good time doing what I'm doing now, so I don't really feel like I'm missing out on it. And if I can find wee quiet moments to steal to to paint, then you know that's great. But yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried at the moment about kind of becoming a full time painter again or anything. Cool. So d- before we finish up, mm-hmm. um, what what are you working on just now that's exciting? Um, and what have you got planned for the future? Oh, um, so I've got a couple of projects on the go at the moment. Obviously, Neon, which uh, will the festival happen in November seventh to the twelfth. So we're um, yeah, just kind of pulling together the program um, for that at the moment. So that's all very exciting and it's looking really good. Can't wait to do our first uh, shout out about that coming really soon. So look out. Um, I'm working uh, with colleagues in the university, with Biome Collective, um, on the this festival and conference, the Indie Games Conference that's coming to Dundee in September. So that's a brand new kind of collaboration venture, a sort of games-focused uh, um, programme of, you know, exhibitions, uh, talks and things. Um, so, yeah, beginning to kind of amp up the, the plans for that. That's, yeah, that's... Uh, 7th to the 12th, I think, of September, around that time. Um, And then kind of beyond that, we're sort of, um, yeah, beginning to look at our kind of cultural outreach programme within the university. So really looking at um, embracing that, our UNESCO design designation and trying to uh, get the most out of being part of that network. So looking at what practitioners we can bring in from other UNESCO design cities to come and share their practice with us in Dundee. Um, 
you know, and also just kind of maybe doing less stuff on campus and more stuff in the city. So going out to people rather than expecting them to come to us. So, um, yeah, so the plan is to sort of start popping up um, all around the city. That's all sort of, yeah, just in the early planning stages at the moment. But it's, again, it feels like a whole new job all over again. So it brings lots of exciting opportunities and I'm sure new challenges. But, um, yeah, looking forward to, to kind of getting that out and underway. Yeah, it's all go. Great. Um, yeah, if you want to just tell people where they can find you, I know you're, especially in the sort of terms of the conversation we've had, your uh, your Twitter handle's definitely on point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Claire Dundee. Uh, yeah, very proud of my Dundee roots. Um, and yeah, just through the university or through uh, Neon Digital Arts, um, yeah, people can kind of get in touch that way if they're interested in finding out more or... Great, thank you very much. Thank you. And that was Claire. Uh, thank you very much to her for being the final guest on season one of Creative Chit Chat. Um, if you do want to keep up to date with her, it's at Claire Dundee, as you said. And if you want to keep up with everything that's happening with the podcast, it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram. And facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee so that's it for season one um i will put out some teaser content over the next month or so but if you don't want to hang around and listen to my podcast recommendation for this week um i'll catch you in september so the podcast i'm going to recommend is called no such thing as a fish it is done by the researchers, or I think they're known as the, the QI elves. Um, so from the, the QI TV show from BBC, um, they, I mean, research all the weird and wonderful nonsense that is on that show. Um, and they bring a bunch of that research and stuff that's happened in the news, stuff they've found, random facts, thoughts, stupidity, just everything just thrown into a sort of 40 minute episode and it's fantastic it's so entertaining the guys are super intelligent and just they've got a great sort of camaraderie between them um so if you're looking for something that's completely varied and random and different every time uh give no such thing as a fish a go um there's also a tv show i think it might be on youtube um no such thing as the news um which was essentially the same thing that they they put out but filmed it um, again, really entertaining, definitely worth a watch if you can find it. Um, and yeah, I think there's maybe like 170 odd episodes that they've got out. So there's loads of amazing, amazing content out there. And, and yeah, just completely random and varied. So that's it. End of season one. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. And thank you to everyone who has been on the podcast over the past seven months. Um, that's it and I will catch you in September goodbye